You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, Taking the Christ of Faith Seriously. I'm your host, Bill Real. This podcast dives into faith development, cognitive development, biblical scholarship, and does so using the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Hold on to your seats. This is going to be a fun ride. These episodes will be short, but they are going to dive into the Jesus story in ways that you have never done before. So thank you for joining us. You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, Taking the Christ of Faith Seriously. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never cease So here in episode number two, we're going to be back in Mark, and we're going to do, obviously we're spending some time on John the Baptist, and eventually, obviously, we're going to get to Jesus here really quickly, and then we're going to spend a ton of time dissecting uh, the teachings and behaviors and, and life of uh, the Messiah, Jesus Christ from the New Testament, but we're going to go through each of these books separately, right? We'll go into Mark, we'll finish up Mark, and then we'll jump back into to Matthew and Luke, and then we'll finish off with John, and that'll give us a chance that as we go from one book to the other, and some of these same stories and ideas are said just a little differently. They're reiterated again, though. It'll give us a chance to revisit some of these ideas. Last, uh, last time, we spent time in Mark chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4, and we talked about how John the Baptist came to prepare the way, and he asked us to, to prepare the way and to hear the voice and to clear the road and what that meant. We, we also talked uh, a lot about inner authority and outer authority um, in, in binary thinking uh, to kind of get us started on that path of uh, faith development, cognitive development, that I think Jesus is just a, a giant example of. But today we're going to be in verse uh, 6. And in verse 6, it says, his clothes, this is talking about John the Baptist, his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a belt around his waist. For food, he ate locust and wild honey. And, and we kind of chuckle at John the Baptist a little bit, right? We, we see his strangeness. We see that he is an oddity even to his own people. More, you know, not to even go into the fact that he's an oddity to the way in which we eat and dress in 2018. But here's John the Baptist, and he's an oddity. He wears strange clothes and he eats strange things. It's the peculiarity of John the Baptist, what he wore and what he ate. But there's also an insider-outsider paradigm here. Often, when in, in whatever religion we are in, we cling to the peculiarity of that group, right? Our, our group is the one and true group. And it doesn't matter what religious institution you belong to. If, if even on something as mild as, hey, I'm a Baptist and my neighbor's a Methodist, you pick out whatever those differences are and you see your group as having doing it right and their group as having doing it wrong. So as an outsider, John the Baptist looks strange. He wears strange clothes and he eats strange things. But when you're inside the group, if you are a follower of John the Baptist, you're not chuckling at John the Baptist. You're seeing the truth of him setting himself as something different than the world. 
and you want to emulate the differences that you see, when you are inside the group, whatever differences your group has, you see those as being called and ordained of God. You see others as lost and fallen, right? My group is the true group. Others are deceived or they're misinformed or they're outside the loop of information coming from God. We are better and they are somehow less than. We distinguish God's chosen often by wearing the right clothes and eating the right foods and saying the right things. And here's what I mean by that. When you look around the world at various religions, the followers of those religions have their own set of dress standards that are different than everyone else. Take, for instance, the Amish. I grew up in northern Ohio, and for vacations, my wife and I would always go down to Amish country. We call it Amish country, but in reality, it is Holmes County, and it's the cities of like Millersburg and Berlin and Walnut Creek. And when you went to these towns, you would see these peculiar people who dressed in what looked like old-fashioned clothing with big giant beards and bonnets on their head, on the women's heads. And their food was amazing. They made the best peanut butter pie and the best uh, homemade bread and the best braised uh, turkey with gravy on it, right? Like these are peculiar people and they're known for how they dress and they're known for what they believe and they're known for what they make to eat, but they're different and they're peculiar. And it's not just the Amish. If you look at the, uh, even just the, the leaders within different religious organizations in the garb that they wear, if you look at Latter-day Saints in the garments they wear underneath their clothes as a sign of them having taken higher obligations within their temples, when you look at various religions, you'll notice that the followers of that faith have a dress standard of some sort, even if it's only their ecclesiastical leaders, that sets them apart as different from the rest of the world. But it's not just the clothes. It's also eating the right foods, right? So for instance, we talked about Latter-day Saints. Latter-day Saints, for instance, have a code of health where they don't drink coffee or tea or alcohol. They don't use tobacco. When you look at those of uh, the Muslim faith and their eating restrictions, when you look at those of the Jewish faith and the clean and the unclean foods, things that are kosher, again, often within a religious institution, there is a designation by that institution through its history to ensure that its followers separate themselves from the world by doing something that seems peculiar to the world. And it goes further. So it's not just wearing the right clothes or eating the right foods, but it's also saying the right things. Within each religious paradigm, within each religious institution, each has their own unique language. Even using the same words, those words from institution to institution will have different meanings. And these institutions create these meetings. And it's, again, it's not, it's not an, an intentional manipulative mechanism. 
in the sense that, hey, these guys all get together and they're like, let's create a vocabulary and let's have the guys next to us not know what our vocabulary means. I don't think it's that abrasive, but rather that what happens is if we have our own identity and these words mean something specific to us and it's different than what others interpret those words as, that language That conversation around those words will then bind us together as a community. And so these institutions over the course of their history, they benefit from having a unique vocabulary. And hence that unique vocabulary tends to grow as that community becomes more bound together, more unified. So when you go into Mormonism and you ask Latter-day Saints, what does the word grace mean? Or if you go into the evangelical denominations and you ask each of them, what does it mean to be saved? Or what does it mean to live with God again? What is salvation? You may hear the same words, but if asked to define those words out further, those words will have different meanings. And sometimes they're even unique words, words that nobody else even knows. By having a unique set of dress standards, by having a unique set of dietary restrictions, by having a unique set of words within one's vocabulary around this religious theology, you bind your group together as us, and everyone else is different, and hence them. We often get into policing conformity. We often use rhetoric that works to ensure that we are telling others that we are part of us. And we also use rhetoric to shame others into conforming to the rules of the group. To an outsider, John the Baptist is weird. His behavior, clothing, eating habits are signs that this is a group we don't want to belong to. They're strange. But if in the group, wearing this peculiar clothing and eating this peculiar diet is a sign of God's chosen people, a sign that you are right with God, while all others are fallen, lost, or less than. You recognize that the reason John the Baptist is different is because he is listening to God and everyone else is not. What you're going to find as we move into the life of Jesus, because we're stating it clearly here, I want you to see it. Because once you see it, you'll never unsee it. That once we move into the life of Jesus, you'll recognize he has moved beyond this ethnocentricity that paints us and them as two separate things. You'll, You'll recognize that one of the beautiful traits of moving into deeper development is perspective taking. So if you're inside the group and Throughout your early life, or as Richard Rohr calls it, the first half of life, you pride yourself on fitting into your tribe. You pride yourself in being us and not being them. And you lack the ability to take the perspective of them. As much as you think you can do it, you're not really doing it. But at some point in your life, if you move into the second half of life, if you move out of ethnocentricity, you begin to develop the ability to take different perspectives. And this is important because once you can put yourself 
deeply behind the eyes of someone who's very different than you, someone you used to see as them, you begin to recognize that the clothes and the food and the words might be different, but the human being is the same. It is you. It is you under a different set of circumstances. And you begin to understand how all of us humans get to the point that we believe what we believe. And as you begin to understand perspective taking, you not only gain the ability to step out of your own perspective and to take the perspective of another, eventually you gain the ability to observe the observer. And what I mean by this is within yourself, all that you really are, if you go into Eastern thought and look at philosophy of who you are, you're not your arm, you're not your leg. At the end of the day, they decide you are the observer. You're the person behind the eyes watching the world go by. And at some point, you gain the ability to observe within yourself the person behind your eyes. This comes after years of going through this development. It's often assisted by meditation. It's often assisted by contemplation. But we need to understand that Jesus is there. And you'll notice it as we go through the life of Jesus and all these stories, the way in which he interacts, the way in which he answers. It's almost as if he can pause the movie for a moment, step outside himself, take the perspective of everyone there, including his own perspective, and then come forth with a wise answer. And so as we look at verse 6 and we recognize the peculiarity of John the Baptist, might we also understand that we're human. And in a way, we are John the Baptist, but just under a different set of circumstances. And had we had the circumstances, had we had the experience that John had, might we dress like John? Might we eat locust and honey? Might we say the things that he said? This is the Mythical Jesus Podcast taking the Christ of faith seriously. Hope to see you next time. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming